Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cinematic Horizons, a Steven Spielberg podcast where we're going through all of his works over time in chronological order, and we are talking about all the movies that really made the best director of our time. And so I am your host today, Craig. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Brandon Davis. How are you, sir? Hey, sir. How are you? Good, good. (laughs) I'm doing well. We are on movie number two of 30-something. Yeah, the first theatrical movie. Yes, we are. And this is also a movie that, like, I don't know, does it feel very Spielberg to you yet? I don't know. And I have some theories about that that we can talk about. We can either talk about now or we can talk about later, whichever you prefer. Well, I mean, like, honestly, (laughs) I'll tell you, like, first impressions of this movie, it doesn't necessarily have the, I will say, like, I can see some of the things that carry over from Duel because there is so much car in this movie Uh as well. There's so many car chases and there's a lot to do with, like, vehicles almost being a character in and of Uh themselves. But, like, beyond that, like, I'm not necessarily, this seems more like a studio movie that Spielberg was tasked with directing. Is that a fair point to say? Yeah, I to me, I think this is really interesting because this feels like a very 70s movie, a pre-Jaws 70s movie. So for me, this is kind of what it might have looked like had Spielberg not gone the way of the blockbuster and it continued doing the same work as his friends, Martin Scorsese or Brian De Palma or people like that. So this is kind of our glimpse into what Spielberg might have done had he done more sort of smaller uh, character-based movies. So it's a it's a cool thing to see, you know, exactly what he might have done had he not gone, you know, the way of Jaws E.T., yeah. And I mean, it's it's still a very good movie. It's very mm-hmm. enjoyable. It's watchable. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in the intro that Spielberg kind of takes on all these different genres of film. Yeah. And of course, he's going to do some true to life films later on. He's going to win Best Picture. He's going to win Best Director for Schindler's List. And mm-hmm. but like this is more more of his first foray into kind of an inspired by real events kind of film. And this is interesting because it comes out in 1975 and the events that happened were in 1969. So that's not a large breadth of time. Now, of course, communication a lot different than you're reading newspapers about these things. It's not like you have clickbait articles that you can just pull up and, and watch the videos of the Sugarland Express going on. But so maybe more people didn't really necessarily know what the whole story was. Was, but at the same time, it's interesting that a studio jumps on this story right away. Yeah, it's well, for me, it's kind of par for the course because to me, this is kind of like a grandchild of like Bonnie and Clyde or something like that. This is different because they don't kill people and they don't rob banks. But it's, it no, it's got that kind of anti-establishment sort of late 60s, early 70s feel. And we're right at the precipice of when Spielberg's about to change everything. Because the, the first half of the 70s is very dominated by movies like The Godfather and Chinatown and very gritty, realistic movies. And then you get to the latter half of the 70s and that becomes the era of Star Wars and Jaws and E.T. and things like that. The summer blockbuster, <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? So yep, Rocky, Yep. It's pretty incredible that we're going to talk about some shark movie as this third movie coming up here in the relatively near future. But let's stick with this for right now, because this is a really compelling story to me. I mean, like the idea of these kind of more petty criminals that don't necessarily have a huge rap sheet, but they're in prison, at least Clovis is at the beginning of this, and he's broken out by Lou Jean. And uh, then they kind of go on the run. And I love that 
the idea that they are going after their son who is in foster care. And so it gives this element of like, even though, yes, we're not supposed to root for the criminals, right? It allows us to show that they have some humanity as well. And and that was really compelling to me. I think Goldie Hawn is heartbreaking in that first scene. And Spielberg, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a Spielberg touch, I guess, in the early days of it. But, you know, that great close-up he has on Goldie Hawn, you know, when she's begging him to help her out and help them get her kid and the tears are coming down. I think she's spectacular in this. And uh, to see her sort of set the scene and everything. And, of course, you have the funny moment of the two of them, you know, sneaking into the restroom to have their conjugal visit at the beginning. But then it turns really, really sentimental. And you really are behind these people. And you really start to kind of care about their, uh, their plight and what they're going to do. And it's all sort of cemented right there with her plea to him and that wonderful close-up that Spielberg does. And it's a it's a really wonderful performance by Han. I read where Spielberg could only get this financed if he could provide a star in the movie. And Goldie Hawn was the one that they were able to provide him. So she kind of sort of put herself in the hands of a newbie director. And uh, I think it paid off well for her. Yeah, it was one of those performances that I think like is it really sticks with you because you feel that young mother vibe coming off of her and she really seems to deliver that so well and then I, again like her counterpart i mean like he also is sort of in this mold of like i don't know if i want you to break me out i've only got four months left on my sentence i could be out you know really quickly and then all of a sudden she's kind of the one driving all of this and getting yeah. into the car and then taking the police car and then kind of starting this whole adventure it's it's interesting because like i mean i don't want to necessarily like delve into modern day politics too much but at the same time like it's hard to watch this movie now and talk about like and think about like policing and where it's at in 2023 right because this is an entirely different movie in 2023 like it, this movie ends in like six seconds right yeah yeah kind of i think but <laughs> <laughs> you're walking that line brandon davis i see you you're uh, you're getting nervous over there no i won't get nervous but it it really it does and it's it's sort of a it's a nice little time capsule. I know it, you know, it takes place in the sixties, but it, it walks the line between sixties and seventies. It captures its time and place really, really well. You've got Goldie Hawn and you've got William Atherton, the, who are the two leads, and but most of the movie is populated by just some incredibly interesting people, interesting faces, some of whom, you know, were real townspeople in the South. It, it was a really different way of life back then, and so it really feels authentic to the time and authentic to that region of the country and the policing was a little different at the time it's interesting how this movie sort of um to go back to bonnie and clyde it sort of makes folk heroes out of criminals and you know this sort of it, it also is a great commentary on how much of a media circus things can become Absolutely. And I mean, good on Captain Tanner for kind of going through the motions and not uh, really going after these two uh, yeah. as hard as he probably could. And even really kind of rejecting those options as he moved along. I think he almost becomes a de facto protagonist a bit in this because you're also rooting along the fact that he's like these kids just want to get their son like they just want to yeah. see their son and he knows that ultimately they're not going to get their son back because right. like you can't you can't you know rob a cop of their car and then you know grand theft auto across yeah. the state of texas and then end up with a son at the end but at the same time it's still uh 
I, I like the humanity that it brings to the character. And I think it's really cool that it's inspired on real events as well. Now, I, I will say for even for the purposes of this podcast, I didn't necessarily go back and read exactly what actually happened in the real events. But uh, the drama of this is there all along. And I think it's interesting because we see Duel and we know that Spielberg to this point has been doing um, some of like Rod Serling's Night Gallery. He's been doing a lot of television, okay. but Duel was very much a couple of character driven piece and really almost like a one man show. Yeah. This is our first introduction to how Spielberg's going to handle an ensemble and to me I think that it really works well as an ensemble piece. He gives like character to those police officers even though there's hundreds of unnamed police officers there's scenes of them where they're like at the park together and they're kind of like trying to figure out what their next move is going to be and you see like the police officers goofing around in the corner i mean like there's there's choices that are made that allow for the entire ensemble to shine in a way that clearly we're going to see such an experienced director later on in his future film films as well. But I thought that that was a bit of an interesting piece of this too. Yeah. He, he populates his movie with interesting people and you don't always have to be in the presence of the protagonist every minute we get to breathe and we get to sort of take in this world a little bit, which I really enjoy about this movie. And you get to, you know, you, and you get little moments of brevity in between, you know, cause even though it's, sometimes these high speed fun car chases and all of that uh, there's something really deep and really serious going on so he does give you a little chance to uh enjoy yourself you know with some other little goofy side characters i love the couple that get left at the side of the road at the beginning they're just funny and they really uh the just their droll sense of humor it's it's done so well i love that moment and every time it comes back to them it's just a pleasure to watch but that's what i was gonna say like when yeah. they come back to them that's what's yeah. great because like you're you think that they're done like they're they're mm-hmm. moved on and then they're still just sitting there they're standing there like <laughs> waiting for their ride and it's just so great yeah and then they get left again i just yeah it's so hysterical and it, it really it does show you that Spielberg does really, he, he doesn't get the credit for working with actors as well as he does a lot of the time, but he really is a great actor's director. And I think that this movie is a great example and will um, be sort of a precursor to uh, some of the great ensemble pieces that we see in the future. I, absolutely. And I, it's interesting that like, so this is, so he comes off of a, a made for TV movie that's then later re- re- least into theaters but this is his first theatrical release and so why this story you know like what is it about this particular event is it is it easier for a director to grab as kind of one of their first theatrical releases a relevant story to their time like inspired by true events as opposed to their own work i don't know what are your thoughts on that like why is it that he decides and we got to get into his psyche a little bit and we're completely making this up i I understand (laughs) that but like why do you think this is the first step that he makes in this amazing career of his well, I mean, it, it is well known that he did go to uh, the heads of Universal and pitch this idea. And I think knowing about Spielberg, what we know, and the kind of things that he enjoyed when he was a kid, it was a modern day 
cops and robbers um you know all it it, it was kind of it, it's not a western but it does feel like a western because there's uh, you know there's hot pursuits going on there's um you, you know there there's the law versus you know the um you know law versus the criminal there there's a lot of things going on but there's um a lot more um gray going on so i think because of that i think I, th I think it was sort of a nice way for him to sort of explore genres that he enjoyed as a kid, but put his own kind of spin on it. And uh, I think I think it's cool. You mentioned Captain Tanner, but I love that we get um, Ben Johnson in this movie, who was a regular in John Ford movies. And so that's a great connection to uh, Spielberg, you know, uh, coming off of Fablemans. But um, it really, I, I think it was kind of a modern day Western that you could do really at that period because it's a bit more gritty. Uh, but I, I think it was a nice way for Spielberg to make his mark because it wasn't fantastical. It was something that critics were going to take a little more seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he still gets to kind of explore some different things too, right? Like he gets to still work with cars. I, and again, like it's, it's interesting that Duel starts with such like a car focused thing and then here sugarland express almost continues that and i know like just even looking some of the trivia up that it's the first tracking shot that really happens like in a 360 and like he's always trying to experiment with things because of course later on and i mean he's not necessarily the first director to use cgi but like we all remember going to the movie theaters and seeing dinosaurs in front of us, you know? And so this is a director that likes to kind of move the ball forward as well and to try to do different things. And I think he accomplishes that here. But I also want to talk about the story because I understand that this is inspired by real events, but this is compelling in a way that um, is, again, in a modern context with modern day policing, and modern sensibilities it almost is like you yearn for a day where because the the officer that ends up going along on this ride with them kind of has this turn halfway through where he goes from oh you're the bad guys you're you know you've held me hostage to where he's like you know what i I get it. I understand. And it's almost like he is propelling them forward and trying to make sure that they can ultimately get their goal as well. And I, I, I just think there's human elements of this movie that maybe don't necessarily exist if it's put in a 2023 context. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the, the turn of how, you know, he starts to sympathize with them. And I think it's done believably. I think, um, in another screenwriter's hands and another director's hands, it would come across as just a nice little plot convenience. But I think that you really, because age-wise, he's their peer. So if it had been like an older, uh, more cynical cop uh, in the car with them, it might not go so well. But I, it was a good, I mean, of course, it's based off of a true story. We don't know the exact ages of everybody, but I think the fact that he really is their similar age he's um obviously you know from the same area of the country that they are he really starts to identify and becomes friends with them and by the end of it he's really you know 
with them 100% on this journey and he wants to get them to their son as much as they do. And I think that that's what really helps make the story what it is. If it had just been them, you know, taking him capture and them being in hot pursuit the whole time, it really wouldn't have been as much of a, a compelling story. But the fact that he really starts to side with them is what makes it deeper than what it could have been. But no, I I agree with you. I think that it really is a much more genteel side of policing than we're used to seeing in 2023. And, you know, maybe it's could be a bit of a fairy tale, but, uh, you know, it might not have been because, um, like we said, it's a different area of the country. It's a different time. People just had a different way of looking at the world in 1969 when the movie took place. And, you know, we were coming off of a time when police were looked at a little differently after college protests in the late 60s and things like that. So it might have well been, you know, an optimistic fairy tale in 1974 when this came out. But still, it's it's nice to sort of look at it and see sort of the quaintness of it. And it's also really fun to see like the car chases that go on here mm-hmm. because of course this Sugarland Express like taking where they had broken Clovis out of prison all the way to Sugarland and to try to get their son back and it's first of all a heck of a drive <laughs> and I love the long shots that he does I love you know what's interesting is that in Duel he made very smart choices about making the car particular colors and the way that he was able to move the camera. You were able to kind of almost feel like a a sense of dread with that truck right behind it. Uh This is almost like softening that a little bit. And I understand police cruisers are going to be your traditional black and white, particularly in the seventies as well. But like it, it, it doesn't seem as, abrasive as a viewer or it almost seems like um more of a journey and a ride than it does any tension and i feel like part of that is in the way that it's shot as well and uh, you even see like captain tanner there's like some renegades you know halfway through that kind of go in and they're the the militiamen or whatever you want to call them and they're gonna go ahead and take law into their own hands and and, and a couple of times that that happens but it's those are more striking aggressive colors like if you look at the car that they're driving it is Uh a dark red and so uh captain tanner is able to kind of beat it like i I love that he like takes off like and beats it with like a uh, is it a tire iron or baseball bat or whatever whatever it is that he's using but it's i i think that the imagery here is still striking and it's interesting to see from duel to here especially because there's so much involvement of cars how he's able to make this one a bit of a softer, more human feel. Well, am, and am I completely off base here? No, no, or? no, you're right. And this is the first movie that ever made use of the uh, Panavision Panaflex camera, which um, had a lot more flexibility to it. So Spielberg was actually able to get into the car with them. And you mentioned it before, the 360, um, the 360 shot. He was able to do that. There's that moment where... Tanner comes right up on him and comes right to the side, crosses in front, and then goes onto the other side of the highway. And it's all done in one continuous 360 shot. And he he wouldn't have been able to do that in dual because he didn't have the proper equipment. But because of that Panaflex camera, he was able to do that. And also, um, you know, the two of them are talking on the uh, CB radios the whole time. And the Panaflex camera was able to pick up 
both radios at the same time. So they didn't even have to go back and ADR those conversations. It was all done in real time. That's awesome. That's awesome. I just, again, like he's moving the ball forward and this, you know, like, I understand that Fableman's is a one director's interpretation of his own life. And so it can be biased in a lot of ways, but you kind of see that even in his own autobiography when he's as a kid trying to figure out ways to do VFX on a budget and to work with camera angles and how interested he is about like picking up particular motion uh, of the camera. And I just think that this really starts to show that. And, and again, I think, you know, we do think of Spielberg a lot more as spectacle, but these, there's some great acting that goes on in this piece and we're going to get into Jaws soon. And, you know, nothing against any of those guys, but like, it's not necessarily a character acting piece. It's more spectacle. Uh, it really introduces us to Spielberg, the blockbuster star. Right. But um, I, I can't say enough about this cast. I mean, particularly our leads, Goldie Hawn and uh, William Atherton, but then also people like Ben Johnson as, as Captain Tanner. And um, it just really works as an ensemble piece. Yeah. Yeah. And it it really i to me when i watch it there's some spontaneity to it i don't know exactly how much of a stickler spielberg was with you know sort of making them all stick to the script or whatever but you do feel like there's some moments of pure spontaneity pure um just letting the camera run there and you know and one in particular um was uh, goldie hans reaction to the pig peeing on her um that was right. that that was true and spielberg just happened to pick that up and use it in the movie um so it so it's cool and it does have this sort of raw natural feel and it it has sort of a less polished feel than um you know what we typically think of in, in Spielberg movies down the road. Everything feels so polished in Spielberg movies, and this is more of, like I said, it feels more like something you know other directors were doing in the '70s. Very, um, very you know new wave French type cinema that just you know felt really natural and just sort of let everything um, be sort of in its natural state. So I think that that's that's what's cool about this movie, but it also you know, I think it really captures uh, the southern part of the United States in the 70s really well. No, no one is really stereotypical. You know, you've got the, you know, like we said, you've got the good cops, you've got some rogue cops that come along, and you've got all these wonderful, quirky townspeople and, you know, little characters that come along. Absolutely. Now, I will say, like, we're talking about this film, and and I really did enjoy it. Is it one that I necessarily need to go back and revisit. I'm not entirely sure that that is actually the case. And so I will say that I think that there's going to be future films by Spielberg that to me are going to be considerably more impactful, but it's laying that foundation. It's kind of interesting to see him start to make these choices as a director, because again, dual plays so much like a Twilight Zone episode to me now. Like, I think you're the one that brought that up in our episode, Brandon, but like really that's all I can think of that particular piece as now. And so this is really moving him more in that ensemble direction. And of course, we're about to hit the water here in just a minute and, and have uh, his first major hit 
right? And that's going to be one that propels his entire career. I mean, people still talk about Jaws to this day, clearly, as something that was a turning point for him as a director. And so um, you you are a brave soul. You have told me that you are going to try to rank some of these in order uh, or give give your rankings as we go along here. And yeah. I'll, I'll play that game as well. But talk to me. You know, this is one I don't want to necessarily shortchange the episode. I do think that the film kind of speaks for itself in a way. So I want to get any thoughts that we haven't explored yet. But I also do yeah. want to start to get to your ranking as well. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. But uh, there is, you know, a big monumental part of this movie that we haven't talked about yet. This is the first partnership ever between Steven Spielberg and John Williams. Oh, uh, it is. And I really like this score. I love the harmonica. I love, I love the main theme to this movie, especially that final shot when, um, when, um, um, the the cop is standing by the river and it's at sunset and everything. And it, Oh, it just, it kind of kills you at the end because, you know, when you uh, know the events of what happened, but it's got this wonderful Jay Hoffman and I, whenever he's on classics, always talk about he and I share a love of melancholy. Um, there's something about things that are melancholy that just grab me. And it's such a melancholy score and a melancholy ending. And what of what an interesting way for Williams and uh, Spielberg to sort of start their partnership because it's not this huge orchestral swelling um, piece that we're used to by Williams. It's very um, specific to the film itself, and I just I I think it's just a cool way to uh, sort of introduce us to the Spielberg Williams partnership. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and it's it's one that continues on even to this day. I mean. John Williams famously, he said that he is going to retire, but recently in articles and interviews, he started to say, well, Stephen comes calling. I'm not going to say no, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, it's incredible to, to think about that. And like, I actually was listening to an interview with Ryan Johnson uh, not too long ago. And I guess John Williams has in his uh, house, just these, manuscripts of these different pieces and they're all handwritten of course and it's just the ideas that happen to turn into indiana jones and to turn into jaws and to turn into all of these amazing film scores that we're about to get and it's kind of great to think about sugarland express was the start of all of that that everything that just happened in your head when i talked about those like movies like immediately your sound your your head goes to those places uh, and even not even the spielberg pieces but the the partnership between these two men is just incredible so i'm really glad that you brought that up yeah yeah and um well you mentioned you know the uh the ranking and for me um i i'll probably need some listener input on this as well because i this is going to be sort of a live as we go thing i don't know it might be too impossible to rank them all one by one. I might do tiers and to see, you know, that these movies belong in a t- in the f- top tier. These movies belong in the middle tier. These movies belong in the bottom tier. We only have two movies right now. So I think I'm well, going to put you on the spot. Well, to rank well, them at the moment. Well, no, well, and I'm also debating, should we put Duel to the side as an anomaly because it was a TV movie or do we include it? That's no, also what it. Okay. It was, it, it, they, they added time for a theatrical release. So it did get a theatrical release. And I feel like, it's considered his first work and if you're going to put me on the spot because um, i am 
because <laughs> you love to do it. Uh, I'm going to put Sugarland at number one and Duel at number two for right now. Okay. All right. I'm going to reverse that. Actually, I think I, if in my heart of hearts, which movie am I coming back to? It's going to be Duel. That doesn't speak ill of Sugarland because I like the character development. I like the ensemble. I enjoy the imagery that's given. It's a more fun. It, I mean, like it's not, it doesn't necessarily have the most fun ending, but it's more of a jovial piece. But the thriller suspense aspects that he puts into duel really kind of surprised me because these are two movies I've never seen before. And of course we're getting into a movie I absolutely have seen before, you know? And so it's just going to be really great to see where Spielberg goes from here. But right now we are in complete disagreement friend. That's okay. We'll agree. And we'll disagree as we go along. I'm sure. Absolutely. Now, I think that this was probably a shorter episode on Sugarland Express, but it is a great movie. If you didn't go out and see it, we didn't necessarily spoil much of the plot at all. So I think that you should go out and check this out. I hope that you're starting to kind of watch along in these Spielberg movies with us because he is, in my mind, one of the greatest directors of all time. And so in order to appreciate that, it'll be cool to see how he progresses throughout his career here. So Brandon, any other final thoughts before we start to do all our plugs? No, I think that this is a movie definitely worth seeing. I think it was um, Sugarland Express was shown a few years ago on TCM as one of the essential movies. And I think it's considered essential because it's Spielberg's first theatrical film. But we've mentioned several times on this episode, there's a lot of redeeming qualities to it that I think maybe that's why Craig and I differ. I would go back and watch this again, just because I really kind of fell in love with the characters and I really... Uh, fell in love with sort of the world it creates. So I, I definitely would go back and, and view it once more. And it's it's a great little Jewel and Goldie Hawn's filmography. You know, we sort of think of her as the sort of light comedic actress, but she does some wonderful dramatic heavy lifting in this movie. And it really is a nice little piece of cinema that we don't get from Spielberg a whole lot. It feels like, like I said in the beginning, if Spielberg were to direct more of a gritty 70s movie, this is what he would have done. So I think that it's just worth a viewing or two just because of that. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And so... This has been fun to be able to, we're, we're on number two, guy. Like, we're moving right through, and we're about to get to what people consider the first summer blockbuster in Jaws. And I'm excited to tackle that because, honestly, it's been a long time since I've actually sat down and watched Jaws. How about yeah. you? I'm excited to talk to you because I spoke at length on this movie on Front Row Classics, so it'll be kind of a rehash for me a little bit. It was... I, I've watched it since recently, but the episode was about two years ago where, you know, this is our uh, our friend Ryan Luton's favorite movie. So uh, we had a really long discussion about Jaws on that particular episode. So I'm hosting that one. So I'll get to be able to sort of pick your brain a little bit more about Jaws. And you mentioned that you don't know if it's as much of an acting piece in Jaws, but I think I beg to differ. And once you watch it again, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts because there are some fantastic performances in Jaws. And so I'm excited. Be prepared. I some of the episodes coming up are going to get a little lengthier because the movies get lengthier and there's just a lot richer detail to talk about. You should go out and find this though, Cinematic Horizons. You can check us out on Facebook and you can also find us on other social media platforms as well. We really want to start getting this listener feedback and we want to hear what your thoughts are on the movies that we've already viewed and particularly for Jaws. So we're putting out a request there that listeners 
give us your first experiences or impressions with Jaws. So that way we can really have some of those and, and build off of those as we discuss the film, because it is one of his most seminal works. And so we are excited for moving forward for the future. But Brandon, it's been great to get to talk to you again today. So for Cinematic Horizons, I am Craig. And I am Brandon. And go and find that horizon line, friends.